Yo, yo, yo. Thanks for checking out another episode of the Alcoholic Entrepreneur Podcast. Releasing this episode today is a very special moment for me because you're going to get to hear from a family member of mine who I never knew growing up. She has an incredible story. She's overcome tremendous things. And I don't want to spoil the episode, but it starts with her as a child growing up in the rooms of AA. Her story takes twists and turns left and right, but it is packed with knowledge and wisdom and lessons. I'm so grateful to have talked to Rachel Balloonsat and gotten to know exactly who she was and what her life was like growing up. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back to another fantastic episode of the Alcoholic Entrepreneur Podcast, the show that features amazing stories of recovery and success. Experience the ups and downs of entrepreneurship and sobriety and the mindset it takes to be successful through the lens of our guests. Now here's your host, Jay Ball. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to the Alcoholic Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Justin and I'm your host. Today is a super, super special episode for everybody and and myself. And I say that because I have a family member, uh, a family member that I don't know very well. And so I'm I'm just super interested to hear about her life. Uh, She's gone through an amazing transformation recently. And I and I just I think it's a story everybody needs to hear that that hasn't already heard it. Her name is Rachel Balloonsat. She is, and we were just going over this. Uh, maybe technically a cousin, but maybe in Filipino culture, it's a, a nephew. Anyways, we'll get into that. But Rachel, thank you for joining the show. <laughs> You're so welcome. Thank you so much. I feel honored, and I, I love that we're like we were trying to figure out our relationship, but yet there's this total familiarity. I think like balloon sats, we all feel really connected, no matter what. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, we do, and and we do have a huge family. My father was one of ten, and my father's father, my grandfather. How how many did Israel have? Do you know? He was one of nine. One of nine. And Israel's mm-hmm. brother is Rachel's father, correct? That's right. Yep. He was my uncle Izzy, one of my favorite uncles. I loved him well, knew him well, spent time playing on his organ. He was such a good, such a good uncle to me. Love him so much. That's awesome. I would love to hear more about him because I didn't get to know I was so young. I didn't get to know him until and and we were so far separated because of the Navy. I didn't get to know him that well. And my dad's not a huge talker, but I know everybody loved him. I know everybody loved him. So yeah. so thank yeah. you for joining the show. I want to really start at the beginning. I want to know what was your life like growing up as a balloon sat wherever you grew up? Because I don't even know that. And what was life like with mom and dad and, and your siblings? And let's start there. Yeah, cool. Wow, this is gonna be fun. <laughs> well, I grew up in San Francisco, born and raised. Uh, my father um, came from the Philippines. And uh, so his sister lived upstairs from my mom. And he met her through the window. He fell in love with my mom instantly, looking through the window into her apartment. They blocked eyes. And that was that he was That's going amazing. upstairs to meet Auntie Deli. 
And um, he was just, you know, uh, he was in the Merchant Marine. So that was what enabled him to travel around the world and then eventually land in San Francisco. So he's, um, you know, first generation uh, Filipino in San Francisco. And uh, so my parents um, were together and had a, you know, few years, number of years together. My mom had a couple children and she was 21 when she had them. So their relationship is a lot different than how my relationship was with my mom. And I think that's something interesting about siblings is that we each have a different parent. Even if they're the same parents, we each, if we were born different years apart, we're going to come into that scene with a different parent based on their development when we come in the scene. Wow. So my sister and I had very different experiences with my mom. And uh, my uh, my dad, you know, was the stepdad, and um, it was really it was great in a lot of ways. Um, my dad did some things that I'm not sure if I'm like really ready to share in public yet, yeah, but yeah, um, it created some strain on our family. Yeah, yeah, created some strain in the family, and he ended up um, leaving. And so he was on the merchant as a merchant marine. My mom would always tell me, "Oh, he's out to sea, out to sea," and I really don't know how much of that was true or how much was like he's not allowed at the house or we're not going to mm-hmm. talk to him or whatever mm-hmm. and eventually you know but we stayed my dad and I stayed in touch and um I grew up you know in this very like bicultural house like in this bicultural way where I would be with my mom and it was all like you know you know American she's from Indiana and she's white and so like this is there was that reality and then there was my dad's culture which is like Filipino family like family we're always together always hanging out lots of people lots of good food you know and a lot of the island culture you know i remember like the uncles you know carving the coconut like sitting on the little things and like and the pigs on the 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 lichon and like all the you know the pancit and the doba and like all this you know great filipino food and um just a lot of like the family raising the children like it was i was raised by many people um and so that was really fun and then my you know it was always very generous my father was always you know wanting to feed everybody anywhere we went we were fed um we had other family members come from the Philippines and they had very, they were living in a tenderloin and they were, they had very little food. I mean, like very little um, possessions. And they were all like five living in this one, you know, one, one, one room studio in the tenderloin. And we would, we would, before they moved to San Francisco, we would send them everything. We would, we were always sending things back home. And, um, and then eventually, you know, they moved here and then we were, you know, they would just feed us whenever we were there. Mm-hmm. And so I really grew up with this culture of generosity on my dad's side, and the Filipino side. I feel like it's so all about taking care of everybody, really, really generous. Um, and then, you know, <laughs> then there's the mom's side is a little bit different. But um, yeah, so then my mom got married, like then about, you know, um, like shortly after my father left, my mother got involved with them. Um, with someone who ended up turned out to be an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't realize my mom didn't know she was an alcoholic. And mm-hmm. so here we were, I was four years old and from four until about 13 with these very formative years, I was raised by this, by, by this new family. Um, and my sister was already out of the house cause she was a lot older. My brother left the house pretty soon after that. Um, so I was raised in this very uh, rageaholic family. There was a lot of rage. There was a lot of drinking. There's a lot of drugs. Mm. And my stepfather was actually had a bar in North Beach in San Francisco. And um, you know they were basically the. the I'm, I'm outing some people here, but the North Beach police were literally like keeping his bar open by giving him drugs that they confiscated from other people. So there was this corruption happening. Wow. 
And that's how he got addicted. And eventually one of the police got sober and apologized to him and came to my mother and apologized to her for getting, um, getting my stepfather addicted to Coke. So that was really interesting. Um, (laughs) but, um, yeah, so my mom and I really have, you know, my mom, you know, was really, really a wonderful mom. She did the best she could. Um, and you know, she, she discovered when I was in about fourth grade that she was an alcoholic and she started recovery. And, uh, um, and that's when I met my partner who I'm with now (laughs) actually was at that time. And we, we recently got together. That's incredible. Uh, so yeah, so then I, I really grew up, you know, yeah, thank you. I grew up, um, you know, in those rooms, I, I used to take me with her back in the seventies, you know, it wasn't, there wasn't really anything weird about like bringing your kid to an Al-Anon meeting. Right. And then eventually in Al-Anon, she figured out she needed AA. <laughs> and right. so then I was going to AA meetings. <laughs> so I was exposed to this development really early on in middle school, just being really like exposed to 12 step and really being exposed to the language of it, which is, you know, like my mom would give me advice, like, if someone's really like trying to get your goat and they're really like, you know, if they're an addict and they're just like coming at you, be silent. Just don't say anything. Eventually they'll get bored and go away. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I learned that kind yeah. of stuff from my yeah, mom. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's incredible. It made me very conscious of, of sorry, I, I know there's a delay. <laughs> yeah, no, I was just going to say that's, that's incredible um, that you would grow up in the rooms that way. What was that? What was that like? for you? Like what, what was it like sitting in the room and hearing what you heard? Because if you've never sat in an AA room, uh, and, and I'm, I'm talking about only my experience, which is in the last three and a half years, you know, I actually, I, my first AA meeting was after I got my, my one and only DUI at age 19, I believe. And I was mandated to go to them. Uh, Mm -hmm. so I went to a handful of them, but the stuff that you hear is it's some pretty raw stuff. What goes through a preteen's mind in an AA room and and hearing the things that you hear? That's a really really good question. <laughs> um, you know, I like this question too because I hadn't really thought about it. But when I really think back to it, I don't know if that when I was really young that I was really totally listening. Except that the things that I heard just sounded so familiar. It was like everyone sharing a similar story to ours, so it just felt at home. I just felt comfortable there. It just seemed like a normal thing, right? Because I'm like everyone sharing about you know abuse, and people are sharing about like people you know like raging or screaming or or, or treating each other poorly, and it's like okay, yeah, yeah, it happens in my house, you know. Um, so I think it helped me feel like comfortable talking about it and not ashamed. Like I didn't start off with shame. It was like this is normal, <laughs> you know, like people deal with this. And, um, and then it made me comfortable. So then like, as soon as I started having, you know, in college, when I started going through some of my own personal stuff and having trouble, um, I got into therapy and immediately got into Al-Anon. Cause I was like, I was, it was always something in my head, like, Oh, I can always go to Al-Anon. Like mm-hmm. there's a place mm-hmm. for me that I can go to, um, to, you know, do my own recovery. I can't even imagine, you know, what it, what it must've been like. And, and, and then what, you know, what are those ramifications, you know, after afterwards, when you realize that that's, that that's not, it's not normal to have raging households and, and the things you learn a lot of things in those years of your life and, you know, having to look back and and maybe unpack some of those things later on in life is not easy to do either. Mm -hmm. Uh, How did your mom come to the, the point finally where she, where she thought, have you ever asked her that, you know what, I have a problem. I think I need help. Yeah. Well, it, I was a very specific moment where she was actually, um, 
doing laundry. And I had this, I had a couple, we had a couple of cats. They were both white and one was white haired with blue eyes, which is a genetic prop, um, which is a genet- genetic propensity for being deaf. So I had this white deaf cat <laughs> and that with blue eyes who we called baby cat. And he was just such a little cuddler. And he, he, I found him, he came in my window. I fell in love with him. He just, it was like, he was an angel. He just came into my life through my window in my bedroom one day and he mm-hmm. was mine. Mm-hmm. He just stayed there. It was yeah. like, this is baby cat. Okay. He moved in. <laughs> And I was very close to this cat. And then one day um, in fourth grade, I was after school playing outside with my bike. And I remember I, I drove up. To, my mom came out and said, Rachel, I need to talk to you. And I came inside the house. And she had news for me. And she felt really, really bad telling me. And she let me know that baby cat was dead. And then she explained to me how. And while she was putting wash laundry from the washer into the dryer, he had jumped into the dryer. And she had closed it and didn't know he was in there and turned it on. So it wasn't until the dryer was over that she found out he was in there. And um, it was horrifying. It was a horrifying story. I was so horrified. I was like deeply, deeply troubled. Just the thought of him going through this horrible moment and just like how he died. And it was just so awful. My mom felt so awful and she, she blamed herself. She said, you know, maybe if I hadn't been drinking, I would have been aware of what was going on around me. And I would have actually seen that cat go in or I would have checked and just made sure because he always was going in there. She would always want to jump in and she would always like take him out. But she said, I wouldn't have missed this moment. So she really blamed him herself. And that was the moment that she decided to go to from a from Al-Anon into AA. Right. Wow. So she'd started with, you know, with Al-Anon and then that it was the catalyst. And I had also been praying for a long time to go to church for some reason. Sorry to interrupt you. I, I, I've always been, you know, for some reason at that age, I really wanted to go to church because it's like a thing. Like all my friends went to church. I'm like, let's go to church. Like that would be fun. Yeah. And so she found this church for us at that time. And that's where she discovered AA was like at this church. So all of that congealed together was kind of like a blessing, like some kind of yeah. divine intervention, like something else bigger seemed to be at work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course. And and if you know anything about the rooms, that's that's the message. There's There's something else bigger than us, mm-hmm. that if we would just turn ourselves, our will, and surrender to that being, to that power, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, God or, or what have you, they'll take care of you. You know, if, if you if you deep in your soul want to be better and, and know that that addiction is not you, once you release that, mm-hmm. once you release that, then you can allow good things into your life, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know just from looking at at your Facebook and and your Instagram that you're a very spiritual person. Can you talk to me a little bit about um, Aww, about you. that? And I don't even want to butcher the name, but talk to us about your spirituality and 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 your faith and how that plays in your life right now. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, <clears throat> you know, um I really have come to rely on, you know, turning this over to the bigger, to something bigger and to rely on something bigger than me for like everything in my life. And, you know, I went to a Catholic school growing up in San Francisco, but it was very liberal Catholic school. And um, we, we were required to learn like all the world religions to understand the commonalities because my school was really about unity, was really about like unification, was really about love, was really about compassion, was really about understanding each other. And so this really great school um, turned me on to like all these other things. And somewhere along the way, I got interested in Buddhism and discovered that and followed that path. And um, 
I still consider myself Christian. I'm like, I'm a Christian Buddha. I don't mm-hmm. th- Buddhist. I don't really think they conflict because the message of all these different universal, all these different, you know, great religions is all about compassion and love and forgiveness and generosity and these, you know, basic common principles, right? And um, His Holiness Dalai Lama also talks about that, mm-hmm. and, and his, you know, his message is all about, you know, like like unity, really all about like love is the bigger the bigger picture. Like we don't need to be so divided. Even if we have different beliefs and in, in religion, we can still come together and get along. We can still love each other. But you know, later on in my life, so that's something that I discovered at a time that really, really came into my life at a time. How interesting! I'm just putting this together. When I was involved in an alcoholic relationship, I, my my partner was um, five years. Um, I was with this guy for five years, and he was drinking the whole time, and it was getting worse and worse, and blackouts, and it was really, really intense. And um, I started to really lean into my spirituality for help and um, Al-Anon and therapy. And, and I, and I found this teacher, this um, Tibetan Buddhist teacher who was Lama, who was um, giving teachings. And so I was going to that and the, and the message of that was to like, is, is to rely on like the inner Christ or the inner Buddha. Right. So Buddhists think that Christ was a Buddha. Um, so it's like relying on the inner, on the inner divine, right? That's, on, that's like with us on the interior. And to really like follow that deep reliance. And that reliance gave me so much stability and so much sense of um, that I, everything's okay. And not a lot of dependency on that. Like everything out here determines my happiness and my sanctuary. Like everything out here doesn't determine my well-being. Everything out here is not responsible for how I am in here. And so that really deep reliance and like, and like having that um, deep faith and that real, I want to say like turning my outer grasping to the inner world, like rather than grasping for, um, you know, like, like other addictions as a codependent, you know, as a codependent or, or love addiction, I have that, you know, rather than grasping at these other addictions, it's like grasp, grasp God, grasp the greater thing, grasp your higher self, whatever the higher thing is. And that enabled me. Like if you're going to grasp at something and your grasp lets go of those things, it's like those things fall away. And then this is still here. So um, that became my real deep inner reliance and saved me, (laughs) saved me, enabled me to, to take responsibility and ownership for, for the relationship I was in and realize that like, Hey, I'm responsible for my life. I take responsibility that I've chosen this and I choose this every day. I can choose differently. And so I made a new choice and that relation and let that relationship go and was able to move forward and like take care of myself. And, um, you know, I've been through trials and tribulations for a while until, um, I don't know if you know this, but, um, about six years ago, 2014, I think it was September, uh, my mom died in a, in a tragic accident. And, um, that was like the biggest moment and in Tibetan Buddhists really, their whole, the whole entire, our whole entire practice is really designated towards preparing for the final day, preparing. And as do Christians, right? Mm -hmm. It's like preparing for this final moment where we are going to transition or someone else is going to transition, but being really prepared on the interior and being like being able to hold the space for whatever that transition is. And so um, my mom transitioned and I was able to really stay in a meditative state and like really like go through this transformation with grace and um, able to process my pain and my sadness, but without, without a lot of 
I don't really know how to describe it without a lot of grasping, I guess, but I just, I had a lot more acceptance than I think I would have in a different era of my life. So, and then a year later, my father died and he was sick. He died of diabetes, which is like the balloon fat curse. I think like <laughs> a lot of our family members, all of those guys, all mm-hmm. of them pretty much died of like diabetes, mm-hmm. I think. Yep. Yep. Um, all of those, all those siblings, there's only one left and that's Auntie Alice yep. and she has diabetes. Yep. So this is sort of like, you know, the family disease right. that we have we're proponed to propensity for. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love everything that you just said and, and you're right. I, and I, I preach the same message that I, I am a Christian and I follow this man named Jesus, but I also believe that Buddha like all of the underlying messages are the same and it's inclusion and it's love and it's community and it's selflessness. It's altruism. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all of these things. And Mm -hmm. we as humans are the only, are the, are what is dividing Buddha from Christianity, from whatever, whatever, whatever Mm -hmm. we make those walls Mm -hmm. and we create those barriers and differences between religions because that's what we call them mm-hmm. but at the right, right. <laughs> base level well of humanity is love acceptance communing together giving accepting mm-hmm. you know it's it's all of these very things that we just take for granted and 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 as humans just want to make things mm-hmm. more difficult for whatever reason that uh, you know that's our brokenness that's our flaw right <laughs> What and I just read something on your Instagram about being a receiver. Can you talk to us a little bit about Aww. being a receiver? <laughs> mm. I feel like this this is something that's so simple that takes work. It's so funny because we work work so hard on receiving. Like we block love all around us all the time. You know, um, even in our like, especially like in, in in a relationship, it's easy to get caught up in like you're wrong. You're right. You know, who's wrong. Who's right. And we're like pushing people away with this like concept of wanting to wanting justice and wanting, you know, and it's hard sometimes to get out of the way and let go and receive the love that's there, which is always there, right? This divine love is surrounding us. And if we can just, if we take time in our day to meditate or pray and really like take time out of each day, we, we, we raise our frequency, we raise our vibration and we actually attract and like are that love. We can come back to being that love and we want to be that love, love more than we're looking for it. Like if we can just be and love the people and it's not, you know, it's such a, it's, it's, it's easy and yet it's complex, mm-hmm, but I mean, mm-hmm. really, so that post was really like a, a like a list of affirmations mm-hmm. and that, that affirmation video is actually in my link tree, which I invite you to watch. Um, or listen to and um, it's really just affirming and but like but allowing it in it's mm-hmm. like I am I am you know a child of God yeah, I yeah. am loved I am I'm not open to the gifts of the world I am open to abundance I'm open to kindness like whatever it is we're looking for in the moment I am I'm receiving that I'm open to and I receive that and as we say that we're allowing ourselves to give that like maybe our partner is not giving to us right now Maybe our partner or friend or family member isn't giving that to us. So like, I can just like say, I'm open to receiving this and like letting that in so that it's being given to me rather than trying to find it from someone. We don't have control over the world. We don't have control over the government, over the people. We don't have control over anything except ourselves. So if we can just remember and just like, you know, 
call it in and and like and like pray for this. Like even if we're in a really hard relationship or really toxic relationship, and we just say like, okay, I am open to kindness. I receive kindness. Like there's a feeling that happens. Like we just like this like this even me saying it right now. I just feel myself lifted on the interior. I feel the sun. I feel like I feel this like energy coming to my heart, and I. And I'm actually like raising my own vibration. I mean, we are made of, I mean, this is quantum physics. We are made of vibration, literally, right? All of that frequency is, is, is what we're made of. Like even our skin, everything is made of like these vibration, these, 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 um, you know, waves, mm-hmm. they're particles, yep. but they're actually waves. Mm-hmm. And, and I love further down the rabbit hole, by the way, the, the, what the bleep movie <laughs> talks all about quantum physics and how we're all waves, but we become particles if somebody's looking at us. So, you know, just, just, you know, just the observation. And I really am a big fan of Abraham Hicks too. Do you know Abraham Hicks? No, tell me about him. Yeah. So Abraham Hicks is like just basically someone, someone channels at the spirit. And, um, but the, but they, but they really say, you know, Abraham Hicks really says a lot of things that are just, that are, they're uplifting. And the idea is that as, as we uplift, if we find things that are uplifting, that we actually begin to attract and manifest, like that's the law of manifestation is right. It's like getting into like the right vibration, the right frequency that's actually going to attract to us what we're looking for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that we don't have to work so hard at trying to trudge and find and make this person do that and make this person say that and make this person make this world be in a way like that's codependency, right? Mm-hmm. Let me make everything else change so I can be happy. It's like, let's try to find, you know, peace within ourselves. And then we're going to attract more of that, more of that happiness, more of those, that abundance, more of those um, beautiful things, whatever we're looking for. Yeah. You touched on, 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 on attraction and manifesting things. It, you know, people hear those things and people want to believe that those things might occur. I fully believe in them because <laughs> they happened to me and mm. But it's because I've changed. It's because I've raised, like you said, my level, my vibration is much different now with a clear mind, a clear head, with with an attitude of gratitude, with wanting to help the person next to mm-hmm. me. As you do those things, yeah, shit happens in your life and it changes. Yeah. But but you got to do those yeah. things, right? You can't do them selfishly and, mm-hmm. you know, you got to, and, yes. and we're talking about it like you know, like it's just that easy, right? It's not easy. And and I understand that completely. And it takes time. It takes day after day, affirmation after affirmation, even when you don't freaking believe them, saying them, saying them, saying them and saying them and saying them because you will believe them and you'll see shit change. And then that you're going to believe even more. And then those affirmations will, will get bigger and, and your dreams will be get, will begin to get bigger because you realize that what you were dreaming before was so minute compared to what you could actually (laughs) get if you focused your energy and vibration into that lofty dream that you think only the rich and famous may get or only the lucky will get. No, it happens. Every single moment. Yeah. Every single moment is, is this, is, is is a moment of infinite possibility. This moment, we could go any direction we want to in this interview. I mean, the future has not happened. This is an infinite potential moment. So what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with each moment? And what you said made me think of, because you were talking about intention, like attitude of gratitude. And it's really all about like part of manifestation is intention. 
And the intention, I truly believe the thing that is, I feel like is lacking in a lot of the law of attraction things you hear is the intention to be of benefit. Because when we are intending to benefit ourselves or our lives or when we're like, I want to get sober because, you know, like I've hurt my family or I've hurt this person or I've hurt these people. Like, like I need to correct these things. Like, this is what I think is so powerful about the 12 steps is taking personal inventory and taking a really good solid look at the harm I've done. What have I done? What kind of harm have I done? And, and, and how can I go and make it right with those people? Admit it. Go apologize. Make it right. Do whatever you can to make it right if you can. And this is, you know, my partner has really taught me a lot because he's, um, you know, he's in recovery and he's been, um, a, he's been a sponsor and stuff. And he's been doing this for like 14 years. One of the things he says is like, people go to recovery, but the reason that people don't make it out and people don't complete or finish is because they don't finish the 12 steps. Mm-hmm. Like we have to go through those 12 steps of personal inventory, looking at ourselves and then, and then having our intention be to rectify things with other. And that's like one of the first steps before we can actually start having the intention to be of benefit. Like that is the first benefit right. is acknowledging our mistakes, acknowledging ourselves. And that is like the first benefit coming into sobriety for the world to make it, to make that difference. Yeah. You know, the manifest, the law of man, back to the law of manifestation is that intention is everything, mm-hmm. you know? And like one of the, one of the things the Tibetan Buddhist uh, prayer like the ultimate bodhicitta prayer is I, I, you know, I, I intend enlightenment. I tend to become enlightened or Christ-like in order to benefit others. Like the intention to benefit others has to be with that statement. Like I intend to awaken in order to benefit others, Mm -hmm. not just to please myself because, Oh, now I'll be free and I can leave. And the earth is like a mess and I'll be awakened. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm free. It's like, I have to have the intention that I want to benefit others. And then as soon as we are thinking about other people and we're like putting them, we're putting them into mind, um, we start to, that is literally the lifting of the vibration. That is like the frequency change. That is the thing that starts to attract because our intention has to be, it's not just that it, it's not just that it attracts other things. Here's what it does is it eliminates suffering, Mm. right? Because literally we're looking for things outside of ourselves because we're looking to solve suffering. We're like, I need to achieve this. I need to do that because I want to stop suffering. And I want to stop suffering in the world. I'm going to go out and do these things. But the prayer, you know, into that Buddhism and also I am, you know, in Christianity and all religions really is to help others. Like I want to awaken and help others. How can I be generous? How can I like the six, you know, precepts, one of the first precepts in, in Buddhism is, 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 is generosity. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second one is patience. Mm-hmm. These are like the two fundamental first two things that we need to focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that generosity is immediately about thinking of others. It's yeah. immediately about like, Think of others. So, so the daily prayer that I do every morning and evening in meditation is um, is to awaken in order to benefit others. Hmm. I love that. I love that. Awaken in order to benefit others. Mm -hmm. And then, and and that's how you remove. That's how you remove suffering. That's literally the antidote to suffering is praying for their happiness. Mm -hmm. Like it is so simple. We can boil this whole thing down into the simplicity of how do I alleviate suffering praying for others, doing good for others, helping others, volunteering, getting sober, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But like with this intention to be a good person, that is like the first step to manifestation. Because Mm -hmm. when we do that, we stop suffering. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. We can't, you can't suffer and pray for someone else's happiness at the same time. You feel their suffering, but not your own. Right. And so while we're looking for happiness, that is the happiness. Right. That is the happiness. The manifestation is boom. You're right there. All of a sudden, I'm happy because I'm really caring about 
about everyone else. Right. And the, and the, there's some things in there that you can, that change immediately, like within you, how you feel lifted, how you feel just, you can breathe a little bit better. You don't, you know, maybe for the first time you you don't feel guilty about lying these things. And those are the yeah. little battles that are really great. Now it's going to take time to get to where Rachel's at, you know, and to be able to speak on it and, and have these experiences. Like those things don't just happen overnight. That is going to take time, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. but it, it, it happens. I'm telling you it happens. And I, and, and I, mm-hmm. I do it at a, at a level where I'm not trained. I, I just, I just do it at, at, from what I know out of the rooms, from sobriety, from uh, s- sober folks, from Christianity and, and, and my, my faithful spiritual friends, you know, all of these things I've learned. So, but again, it, mm-hmm. like you gotta, you gotta start making those small decisions every single day. Mm-hmm. You made a big transformation in your life in, from a health physical standpoint and mm-hmm. I say recently within the last 10 years or so, right? Mm-hmm, last five. Talk to us about this this major physical transformation. We've talked about your mind. Talk to us about this physical transformation mm-hmm. and maybe how do those two things live together and and, and interact with each other, the, the healthy mind and the healthy body? Nice. Thank you. Well, um, you know, I about six and a half, well, So five and a half years ago is when I discovered getting well. But before that, I'd been sick for nine years. um, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's autoimmune disorder of the thyroid, which is a low thyroid disorder. And that looks like extreme adrenal fatigue. It looks like just like complete brain fog. I mean, it felt like I had amnesia. I couldn't remember what happened for the last five minutes. It felt like I was stoned when I talked to people. Like Mm -hmm. I'd be in the middle of a sentence going, what am I talking about? Like, I would never be able to do this interview. I'd be like, whoa, what did you just ask me? Okay, wait, where am I going in this? I forget why. I wouldn't be able to track myself. Uh-huh. And um, so it was embarrassing. It made me look stupid. I felt stupid. I felt uncomfortable. I didn't like to be in social situations. I would, um, and my eyes were always overwhelmed. And so I would, I would like have, I had all this adrenal fatigue, which means makes us sensitive to light. It makes us sensitive to noise. It makes us sensitive to everything in our surroundings. So I would talk to people like this, like I'd be hanging out with people. I'd be like, sorry, yeah, I hope you don't mind. I'm just going to cover my eyes for a little bit, but I'm listening. And this would be how I'd have carry conversations really? off with people, which is kind of ridiculous. It's like talking to people with my hands over my, or the, over my eyes. And I also gained weight. I had, I was like constipated, bloated, you know, everything was just like a nightmare. And, yeah. you know, I went looking around for help. I went to, you know, a Chinese medical doctor, went to, you know, I tried Ayurveda, I tried Western medicine. I went to Western medicine. That's really where I got the first diagnosis and they wanted to give me drugs. And I was like, you know, I just, I just was, I'm really a natural person. And I didn't mm-hmm. really believe that those would get me well. I knew that it would make my thyroid dependent on these meds. And I didn't want to become dependent. I have like a real strong belief that the body can correct itself at the right nutrition. And I just felt like I didn't know what it was. So I was just like seeking. I was the seeker. I was looking for information. And then I discovered this superfoods company, which totally transformed my life because it was like a cleanse and was all like, you know, all, all, all these different kinds of superfoods that have spirulina and maca and all these really different, amazing, high, high nutrients, high density nutrients food. It was all organic. So there's like no toxins. And it was just like the purest thing I could do. And I took a chance and I did it. And I got well. <laughs> in 10 days, literally all of my symptoms disappeared. 
my whole brain fog lifted. And all of a sudden I was like clear. I could have like conversations. I could remember things. I could name recall. I could see a person and recognize them. All that stuff shifted. I had amazing amount of energy so much that I started working out. <laughs> I got really into working out. I was like, oh God, this is so fun. I like couldn't wait to get to the gym, in fact, and get on that stairmaster or on that treadmill and just run like crazy. Like, oh, I just want to run. I just like I want to move. <laughs> and what's really interesting is before that I'd been paleo. And at first I was vegan, then I was paleo. And then you know, people were like, Oh, you need to eat meat and this is gonna help you. And so then I tried that and then I was like, Oh god, this is not really helping me. And then I finally found the superfood protocol and I got, and I had this immediate, like within the first few days, all my cravings lifted and I just was completely light. And I all, like I said, all the symptoms when I had energy, my bloating disappeared, my first seven days, um, my bloating, everything was gone. I went running. Somebody said, Oh, what's up skinny. And I was like, what, what <laughs> me, <laughs> who are you talking to? And they noticed that my weight had changed. I, I dropped like 10 pounds and I was like, wow. really? So, you know, so I just, you know, that, that became my lifestyle mm -hmm. and I got really into superfoods. I joined the company. I got really into promoting, you know, health and nutrition and, um, you know, viable ways of, you know, I just really believe that the body, if it has the right building block, we can literally bodies can repair themselves. Mm -hmm. We just mm -hmm. need to give it the right building blocks. And then it's like, a, you know, it's like you give it the scaffold right. and you give it the, and you give it the workers and they just go to work and just do everything. So, yeah, and that's how I got into working out. That's what got me into my whole fitness career. And uh, from, then, from then on, the whole, the whole, yeah. <laughs> whole different lifestyle. <laughs> I, I still pinch myself today and go, I can't believe I feel so good. Yeah. It's been five and a half years. My symptoms are gone. I'm like swimming, you know. And I let go of, I ended up going plant-based. I like, I totally went vegan. Yeah, did you, I was going to say, like, did you look up like possible dietary things that you should try for the symptoms that you were having oh yeah and there's so many different like so many different recommendations don't eat broccoli don't eat kale eat more meat do bone broth do this do that i was like oh my god i tried it all and like i just kept not i was failing my way forward mm -hmm. and it wasn't until i added in superfoods and okay. then it was like my body just knew what to do okay and i let go of meat i let go of dairy i let go of eggs all that stuff let go of all of it and then my whole health came back it was just like and it's and I, I thought it was just gonna last those during that cleanse period during mm -hmm. that time but literally here I am five and a half years later and you know now you know the rest I've I've won several competitions yeah, I've yeah. got a pro championship let's talk about all the hardware that you got hanging in your house what so what did what did you do what did you do professionally right here. yeah that's what I'm talking about <laughs> what did you do professionally with your fitness career as you kind of jumped right into health and fitness <laughs> well it's kind of funny i mean what happened was somebody was watching me do this and said what and then she recommended why don't you compete and i thought she was crazy i was literally like i had body dysmorphia i still thought i still looked the way i did before and i was like what there's no way i'm going to compete with this like <laughs> heck no <laughs> but i was like all right whatever i'll talk to the she's like just talk to the coach so i talked to the coach and i joined all these other ladies who were in my age range i'm 47 now i was 42 back then i think and we all just decided to go on this journey together. You know, I had so much energy from my my health ref my health transformation that I was just ready, and I just went for it. And it was just like I felt so good working out, and I loved it. I, I fell in. I hated working out before. Now I loved it. My first competition, um, I won first place in evening gown. I won third place in bikini, and I mean like all ages. 
from 20 and up and I was 42. <laughs> I won third place. I felt pretty proud of that. I was like, Hey, look at it. <laughs> and then, um, and then Filipino, you know, that Filipino blood. Yeah, that, um, it's right. And then I won and I won first place in evening gown. I won first place in evening gown 40 and above, which was my age division. And then I won first place in evening gown 20 and above, like all ages. Wow. And I was all, Oh my God. What? You know? Yeah, yeah. What, so what, what kind of competitions are these? Good question. So this is, inter- so I, I compete with International Physique League. I've also competed with other leagues, but like this was the one that I started with. I really like them. There's different, there's different, there's like, there's, there's, you know, bikini and then there's physique and I think it's called physique and then there's evening gown and then there's like sports. It's sort of like more like there's like sports and then there's like angel wings. So okay. Bikini is a softer look okay. than the physique pro. The physique pro or fitness pro is is more muscular. It's more what people think of when they think of bodybuilding. They right. think of like this really muscular kind of. Right. Some people think of steroids. Right. Yeah. Um, but I but my my league is natural, so we're so we actually get tested and we have we have to get tested to make sure that there's no that we're not cheating cheating with steroids. Yeah. So <laughs> that that must have been that must have felt amazing. People think that life is over at 40. You know, people are like, yes, they're, they're packing it in. You know, they've so had true. kids by now usually. And like, just from my vantage point, it just seems like yeah. a lot of 40 somethings that I are, are just not that stoked on life. And so I think Dude, that tell that's, me about it. that's <laughs> I think it's an amazing story. For I somebody. was. I was in my 40s, not stoked on life. I mean, I literally, when I was so sick, I was saying to myself, you know what? I'm getting old. And that was my, I just justified it. I'm like, I'm getting yeah. old. This is just normal. This is part of aging. And I was like, damn, how scary. I'm only 40 and I'm getting old. Like, Oh God. And I was thinking like, this is it, you know, it's just going to get worse from here. It was hard to imagine that it could get better. So at 42, I like turned my life around. And at 47, I'm healthier and more fit than I have ever been in my entire life. <laughs> Congratulations. That, I mean, that is, you're just an inspiration. You're it's, that is, Thank you. that's amazing. And so talk to me about the mindset that it took to get through the physical challenges of of competing. Yeah, well, that's interesting. You know, um, you know, it's intimidating to compete. You're like, oh, my God, I'm going to be up with all these other people. They're all going to look better than me. They're going to be, you know, like, it's just, it's very, it can be very intimidating. But, you know, I was with all these other women. We were all transforming and we all had different reasons we were there. And so like one woman was like going through a divorce and she's like, I'm here to like reclaim my life and reclaim my confidence, you know? And I was just like, I'm just trying to, you know, reclaim my whole life. My, what happened before the competition was my mom had died and my dad had died. So in, in one year span, I lost both of my parents. And then, you know, this was suggested to me and I'm like, okay, I had, uh, and also I had had a breakup, like I had someone break up and I was, I was pretty brokenhearted about that. And mm-hmm. there was some part of me that wanted to prove myself, Yeah, like just to get into my best shape. And, and he was a lot younger than me, like a lot younger than me. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to prove myself and be like, you know, who, I'm not old and washed up. Like I'm healthy and young at heart. Oh, yeah. and like, who cares? You know, like, like I wanted to prove to myself that age doesn't matter, you yeah. know? And so, um, I did that well, and did. I felt, yeah. And so, and like along the way, you know, my, my coach Frauka, like, you know, she's, uh, she's not in this one, but my coach Frauka is just an amazing, amazing woman from Germany. She was 57. And uh-huh. so she had all these wins at 57. So she was just like, she's super confident and just like, Oh, you got this girl. And yeah, you're yeah. going to do this. 
And like two weeks before the competition, I had another friend die, a really good friend um, from college who died. And since I'm a health coach, I really felt frustrated that like I hadn't been able to save him. Like I hadn't gotten a hold of him and talked to him and like try to, you know, offer him some solutions. And I just felt like, oh man, I'm just going to throw in the towel. Like I just was so distraught and I was just like F everything. And this com- and I also kind of felt like scared. I was just like scared, like, oh my God, I'm scared to compete. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted an out. I was like, I need an out. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. And so I just started eating, you know, I was just also just like, I just was like depressed and crying and eating chocolate. And I called my coach and I was like, I'm out. This is it. I can't do this. And she goes, okay, Rachel, she goes, I want you to cry your eyes out tonight. And like, I want you to like, you know, feel as sorry for yourself as you can <laughs> for the next 24 hours. And then I just want you to go to the gym and I want you to run. Like, just go do an extra hit workout this week and you'll burn off all that chocolate. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I was like, in my mind, I'm like, I've ruined everything. Yeah, I've totally yeah. destroyed my chances. And she's like, you have a chance, girl, you have a chance. And so a lot of times, you know, to move forward, you know, we need, sometimes it's very helpful to have somebody else believing in us. Mm-hmm. And if we don't have that other person, we have to believe in ourselves, but it's really the mind, like listening to a lot of, um, I listen to a lot of, self-development i spent yeah. a lot of time listening to self-development on youtube yeah, yeah. you know tony robbins yeah, yeah. um uh les brown yeah. Yeah. you know like people like that and just really just getting pumped you know so mm-hmm. um you know and that's part of like you know the, the in the work in the work that i do like i do that with my team we, we do a lot of like mindset training with my team just yeah. to help people get out there and like you know go help people yeah so this was really my medicine and mindset like here's the thing we will go for what we believe in mm-hmm. So if we don't believe in it, we're not going to try for it. There's a few people in life who like get something out of luck and they didn't try for it and they didn't believe in it and whatever. But for the majority of people, if we want to, if we want to achieve in business, in finance, in relationship in whatever, we have to believe that we can, that we can make it or whatever. Cause like, you know, there's that quote, whatever you believe is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whatever you believe is true. If you believe you're going to win, you're going to, if you believe you're going to fail, you're going to fail. If you believe you're going to win, you're going to win. And doing just in that, that, and so it's really important and to cultivate that mindset to, I mean, we have to cultivate our mindset. And, and it's, and for me, it was like exposing myself to people who have stories of transformation, people who've like been at the lowest lows and like gone to the highest highs. When I won that competition, I had two medals. I won in each hand. I don't know if either of them, but these are two of my medals. But I was like, I had one in each hand. And I'm like, and I just couldn't believe it. I'm like sitting there like, oh my God, I have a medal around my neck. I won three, I had three different medals from that day. And I was like, this one's for you, mom. Yeah. And this one's for you, dad. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, what, a, what an incredible moment for you that must have been. Yeah. It was really like, I really wanted to succeed for, for myself and for them. But I also told myself like, it's okay if I won like, it's a place for me winning was just getting on stage yeah. for me winning was just getting past my mindset of like blocking myself and telling me I couldn't do it and just saying, Hey, I'm willing to get up there and make a fool out of myself. Yeah. It doesn't even matter. Like I can make a fool out of myself. Like I just, my goal was to get on stage. Yeah. And mindset, mindset is, is so huge. And I talk about that constantly to my, to the athletes that I coach and on this podcast. And I think that's a huge thing of what this podcast is, is mindset. You know, I think Everything is created between your ears before you, you know, before we see it. That's, that's right. That's unnatural, right? That's not that's right. natural. So, yeah. which means you create your reality. You create, you create what's in your life. Totally. 
right? But you got to get a hold of, of your brain and mm-hmm. you, gotta, you have to own it, right? And you got to, and it's okay. It's okay to own it. It's okay mm-hmm. to, to own the blessings that come into your life. And it's okay to own the shit that comes into your life too, right? Because yeah. it's, it's going to make us regardless. It's it's making yeah. us, it's, it's all part of the process. And we don't like process. Yeah. We like quick, yeah. we like quick fixes right now. You know, we want gratification mm-hmm. right now. We don't like the process. And I, and I'm, I'm a hundred percent there. I, I used to have a very hard time with the process and, and it, mm. it was tough on me growing up. It was tough on me, you know, just cause I really didn't have anyone to explain that what the process is in the building process. It's not just about the gold medal at the end, although it's nice. All of those experiences mm-hmm. leading mm-hmm. up to those three medals that one day, you know, I, I just I can't imagine the the amount of of work and and camaraderie and friends and and just the hours and hours and hours and discipline of of what you had to do to get those three medals. Yeah. You know, but those medals are, are is is just a moment, is just a moment in life. The process of getting there, that's that's where that's that's the substance, right? Absolutely. I mean, the journey is everything. If we're not enjoying the journey, I mean, what's the point? Because life is now. This journey is what there is. That is in the future. That doesn't even exist. So like, we have to enjoy it right now. That's telling me to take my shake. That's so funny. Um, Superfoods alert. You know, what what you're saying about mindset, it's like, it's like what we think determines how we feel. Mm -hmm. And what we feel determines what we do. If I feel like I can do something then I'll do it. If I think I can do it, then I'll feel good. And that good feeling is going to give me motivation to do the thing. Yep. I'm, I'm with you. I want to talk, I want to talk, (laughs) I want to talk about your book. Now, uh, you are a co-author of a best-selling book Mm -hmm. and, uh, let us know what book that was. Thank you. Thank you. Well, before I do, I wanted to say there's a really, really great show on Netflix right now, which is coaches. Have you seen it? I have not seen it. I don't think is it, it's new. You have got to see coaches. It's a new show on Netflix. It's okay. like a series and it's a documentary, I guess, of all these different coaches who are like working with really, really top athletes. And it is inspiring to hear their wisdom, their steps. They lay it out. And I highly recommend everybody for any reason, whatever your goal is to go watch those shows because you will find motivation to move through your obstacles. And that was the other thing I was going to say. It's really about like we, we like when we make a decision and we commit to it, what we're saying is I'm willing to overcome all obstacles. Even if I don't like if I'm committing to like, I'm going to compete. It's like, I'm going to commit to submitting my pictures every week, which I hate, you know, and I'm going to commit to like going to the gym four days a week and doing this routine and eating a certain way, mm-hmm. no matter what gets in the way. Even if I wake up, I've had a fight or the night before with my boyfriend or something, I'm depressed. It's like, I'm going to go do this thing, right? Nothing is going to get in the way. I'm doing it despite myself even if I feel like crap and don't want to do it. So that's really like commitment is such an important part of that, mm-hmm. of that um, mindset process. So I just mm-hmm. wanted to, to add that in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is my book, fitness to freedom. And then these are all the ladies that contributed to the book. There were 20 of us, I think 2021. 20, there I am. So this book came out this, we just, I just had my anniversary came out about a year ago. Uh-huh. Uh, this is an anthology of women who all are breaking unhealthy cycles and who all um, have a story to share about having, being in a really hard place and getting to a really good place and changing, changing the trajectory of their lives. And some of them have been like one of my friends in the book, she was in a gnarly, gnarly accident. Like, Oh my God, her leg was twisted behind her back. She was like totally destroyed. 
And she went through, she had to go through so much deep healing. A lot of it was mental. She did a lot of deep physical healing, but you can never tell now. Like she just looks put together normal. She's super fit. But like this was her path to recovery, like fitness and mind and and overcoming the obstacle of like what had happened to her body and the trauma and like all that anxiety, everything that comes with a physical trauma. Like it was really deep and intense. And there's so many stories like this in the book. Fitness to Freedom at Freedom. You can buy it on Amazon or you can, you know, send money to me to Venmo if you ever want to, mm-hmm. if you want to, if you want to get a copy, I'll, I'll send it out, but I'm going to send you one for free. <laughs> <laughs> That's the family discount. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> and I share my story. Sorry. I, mean, I I wanted to just say that like in the book, the whole story, this whole story that I just told you uh-huh. is written in way more depth and way more meaning. Like, like in the book, I really tell the story about my parent, the tragic, my parents' mm-hmm. death. I tell, mm-hmm. I tell the story of overcoming that. Mm-hmm. I tell the story of my wins. So that's what's in this mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. it. I love it. <laughs> so you're also an entrepreneur and, and you want to help people reach financial freedom. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about financial freedom. And because some people may think that how, how can you, how can you be like the spiritual person and then also be coaching people to, uh, to be financially free, you know? And, and I think people f- think of financially free as being greedy or, or just wanting a bunch of money. Tell me what your definition mm, of financially free is question. and why you want to help people become financially free. Oh, such a great question. Oh my goodness. So, you know, I mean, it's so interesting that you say that, that people who are spiritual, like this idea of like people who are spiritual earning, earning money, like how does that equate? And, you know, the bottom line is, Money itself isn't inherently evil or bad. What we do with money can be bad, can be exploitive. How we get the money can be exploitive. But if we're like, if we're, if we're um, earning an income that's really, you know, helping others, that's really like helping, it's giving us an opportunity, it gives us an opportunity to help our families. Um, it's enabled me to put, you know, kids through um, college in the Philippines. It's enabled me to, uh, you know, it's really, really enabled me to be philanthropic. You know, I look at people like back in the day was, you know, Angelina, Brad and Angelina, you know, Brad, mm-hmm. were really my inspiration because um, they were so they she adopted a bunch of kids and then they were like doing all this philanthropy all over the world. And I thought like, God, like, like you have to be a celebrity, you have to be an actor, you have to be like a multimillionaire to do that kind of stuff. And I never really thought that I could do that. And once I started like embracing my business and like learning how to like bring myself and my, my income up and learning how to create a team and create systems and create a situation where I'm helping other people um, become financially free, like this has given me like the freedom of being able to be a philanthropist. Mm-hmm. This, like if you think about all the people who are in power, who are corrupt, you know, like my big, my big pet peeve these days is, you know, Monsanto now Bayer, who is like destroying the the earth with, with GMOs. Mm-hmm. We've got tons of chemical companies around the world. We've got all these, um, you know, companies that are for profit, you know, even, even, even chemotherapy, it's a pro, it's a profit company. Um, you know, back, there's a lot of vaccines that are for profit, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, mm-hmm. and there, there was just an article, you know, some, a vaccine company for HPV that's like r- running out, like worried about their financial status. Mm-hmm. And so, so, and, and, and not for me to decide who's right and wrong, but like, you know, there's probably individuals who are like helping, you know, you doing those companies who are like paying for their families, but like the people who come up with the ideas, if they're not looking at, if we're not looking at the overall vision of like, what is our impact? You know, and some of us don't have a choice. Like some of us, like right now, there's a lot of struggle in this economy. There's a lot of people who don't have work. They have to take what they can get. There's a lot of 
you know, they have to just make, they make the choices because they got to feed their family. And that is the right thing to do. Like that's a healthy, good, right thing to do. Mm-hmm. But more and more people are looking for incomes online. They're, they're becoming entrepreneur because, you know, let's face it, like minimum wage isn't really cutting it. And the next generation really doesn't have the financial means to be able to become um, as, you know, become, become middle-class or become, you know, it's like really, really struggled to go to school just to pay the rent. And it's a lot, the, the, the gap in what they're getting paid minimum wage compared to what it costs to live is widening. It's getting bigger and bigger. It's becoming more and more of a problem. You know, I'm about coaching people to step into their empowered place where it's like, what do you want to create for your life? There's nothing wrong with creating a life of your dreams. And what is it going to take for every person that's different? Mm -hmm. Financial freedom is going to be different for each person, right? Everyone gets to define that for themselves. But like, if I'm going to ask the audience here, you know what? I want everyone to visualize for a second, like take a moment. And I want you to close your eyes and just think of what, if if money was not a problem, and you know how, because I can just wave, wave a magic wand. What were you born here to create? What is your purpose? Why are you on this planet? What do you feel called for? We got to wake up our dreams again right now. You know, what is our ultimate, what is your ultimate dream for your mm-hmm. life? Mm-hmm. Are you like just wanting to put food on the table and just like get, you know, have a car to drive to and fro? Like that could be a huge dream for some people. Are you wanting to put your kids through college? Are you wanting to like travel and learn and like, and like get an education and, imp- and you know, and, and inspire yourself and like expand your mind and expand your knowledge so that you can do big things in the world? Do you want to be the person who ends plastic? Imagine if, if all of us, you know, who are really trying to wake up, um, had the financial power to do something different with the money, like the greed in this world is huge. There's obviously like a lot of problems with power. But there's also lots of people who have, who are billionaires who are doing things to help the planet, who are doing things who are like investing in these major projects to clean up the ocean, that huge you know, plastic pile bigger than Texas that's yeah. growing at a rapid speed, right? There's, there's these billionaires are putting money into solutions. So, you know, money doesn't determine whether we're good or bad people. <laughs> we, who we are, our intentions and our integrity is what determines that. And what we do with that money is yeah. entirely up to us and how we want to, you know, be with it. Yeah. So for me, you know, like, but we have to take care of ourselves first. And, and there's so much stress and worry about the next paycheck. And how can I get to, how can I pay my rent? How can I pay my, my, my car broke down? How do I get that fixed? Or how do I, you know, how do I move to, you know, my partner who lives on the East coast? How do I, you know, get into a new place to live because I just got evicted. I mean, there's like so many, you know, there's so many levels of financial stress. And so financial freedom doesn't necessarily mean, Hey, go become a billionaire. Financial freedom can be like, Hey, Get to a place where you can actually rest and not be so stressed that you don't have to just always be thinking about the basic necessities of life, but you now have the freedom to go to a meeting, right? I now have the freedom to roller mm-hmm. skate and I have the freedom to like choose where I want to, you know, where I want to be today or tomorrow or choose to breathe or, you know, choose mm-hmm. to like, um, maybe I want to go mm-hmm. to college or maybe I want to, you know, go to college and, you know, do all these things. So. <laughs> I love, I love that definition or I don't know if it's, I, mm-hmm. I just love that explanation because mm-hmm. you're right. It's, we're, we're almost programmed to think of money as greed. Like, 
like yeah. just take, 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 take. But money, like you, like you said, is can is gonna is gonna help free you and help free you know the freedom that money can give you and and help help with others uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This has been an incredible conversation. But before I let you go, tell the listeners where they can find you, you know, what you're doing right now and where they can interact with you. Cool. Well, I love when I love Instagram. My name on Instagram is at Rachel Whole Being Health. Like whole being, like your whole being is healthy, right? Rachel at, at Rachel Whole Being Health. Mm-hmm. Um, my name is Rachel Balanza, so they can find me on Instagram or Facebook. Um, Rachel Dolma Balanza. Dolma is my Tibetan spiritual name, so that's why it says that on Facebook. So, um, and if you do add me on Facebook, send me a message so that I I know the context because I don't always um, have an I don't have a lot of room to add people on Facebook because it's limited to five thousand. Um, but yeah, I would love to hear from people. I would love to hear from any of you um, if any of this you know this like sparks any like thoughts and you know makes you feel good or you just have any thoughts or questions but love 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 to hear from listeners that would be fun yeah awesome well thank you so what what does dolma mean oh my gosh thank you for asking so dolma is the goddess of compassion she's the also known as the earth goddess she's green okay. and she's the mother and and then there's another version of, the, of dolma which is chitamani tara and she is the mother of all buddhas so um so dolma is one of the 21 taras so these are all, you know, um, okay. you know, depicted in Tibetan Buddhism and Tonkas and stuff like that, which are paintings like like Tibetan mm-hmm. spiritual paintings. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, it was given to me by my teacher. It was it was a, it was a sweet gift. That's amazing. Well, thank you again, Rachel, for spending time with me and and letting me into your life and understanding who you are and 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 just being vulnerable and completely transparent with with my audience. Uh, I think you're yeah. incredibly talented. I think you're inspiring. Um, you know, you've mm, transformed you. yourself. You've lived many lives within one life mm, and, and we've only you. just talked about a couple of them uh, here. So I hope we get yeah. to dig into maybe a couple more next time we chat. Thank you. But thank you so, so much again for spending the time with me Yeah, and, uh, and sharing with my audience all the, uh, all the information that, that you did. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's so cool to get to know you as an adult. And, you know, I remember you when you were a kid. And it's just so cool that we're connected. We have the same last name. <laughs> and we're both Hapa Haole. We're both, you know, like that, that Filipino mix, Filipino dads, uh, Caucasian moms. And it's just, it's kind of neat, like all of our connections. And so it's fun that we got to connect this way. So thank you so much. I, I look forward to more. And I look forward to hearing your story. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's, you know... I- there's a season, there's seasons for everything. And, you know, I don't think I would have appreciated you, uh, and, and your story had I not been in in the headspace that I am now. So, um, I think, you know, there's a reason why, um, this connection happens now and, and why people come and go, uh, in, in and out of your life at certain seasons. And so I'm going to ride this one for a little bit because I think you and your story just needs to be heard by more people. And so I'm proud to call you family. Mm. And I thank you again thank you. Uh, for your time on my show today. Likewise, Justin. Thank you. So thanks again, guys, for listening in to the Alcoholic Entrepreneur Podcast. We appreciate your time as well, uh, listeners. And until next time, peace and love. Hey. 
Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode of the Alcoholic Entrepreneur Podcast. If you haven't done so already, head on over to your favorite podcast provider to subscribe and download the Alcoholic Entrepreneur Podcast. And if you or anyone you know is struggling with substance abuse or addiction issues, please point them to this podcast. Let them know they are not alone. And at the very least, reach out, DM me, and I'll do what I can from where I'm at. Be well, guys. Thank you.